Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the In For A Penny podcast. I'm Mark Schoffman, a freelance personal finance journalist. And I'm Joshua Gersler, a chartered financial planner. We're here to discuss topical financial subjects in an accessible way that you may come across in your personal and business life that are likely to impact you, your family and your finances. We're also keen to share our thoughts and views with you and hopefully make you smile along the way. If you'd like to find out more about me, visit cavendishcontent.com and you can find me at topfs.co.uk. Thank you for downloading the latest In For A Penny podcast. Hello, Josh. Nice Hello, to have Mark. you with us, still in your dressing gown. Um, listeners to the previous episode will, will know Josh was also wearing a dressing gown in the last one. Shut the door. And again, he's now telling someone to shut the door. Do you want me to keep the noise down? You want to hear? Okay, so, oh, so you can now go listen to bed. His, um, I think one of his children has walked in. Yeah, he was. I thought he was saying, can you keep the noise down? <laughs> but he was saying he wants to hear whilst we uh, record, so I'm leaving the door open. So he gets to listen live. What to your end of the podcast? Of the funny exactly. end? He can't said. hear you. Yeah. Ha, the monotone end. <laughs> uh, so That's thrown you. Yeah, that's thrown me. Usually you uh, you tell us what's been happening this week. What's I always wonder happening? why you do that, because it doesn't go out straight away, does it, the podcast? No, that's why I stopped doing it. Yeah, good. I mean, should I tell you where we are? Like, and then people can kind of have a historical insight into the world at the time that this podcast was recorded. Yeah, tell me where we are. Because we're at the start of half term, and there's talk about uh, free school meals for children. And the government's saying, we're not going to extend our free school meals into the holidays. Let them starve. Interesting. Well, yeah, what are your thoughts on all this? I can see the arguments in normal times for saying it shouldn't be the state's role to feed children in the holidays and parents should take some responsibility. But I don't think we're in normal times currently. And a lot of people are in dire straits through no thought of their own. And I think there should be exceptional circumstances while we're getting through this pandemic. And also, it seems unfair that MPs get subsidised meals and are... saying oh we we should have help with our eating but kids no you, you shouldn't you, you need to pay for your own yes fair enough what do you think i think that the well the, the, i guess the the most important thing is that i don't think any child should be in poverty and not be able to eat three meals a day yeah so that is very important but i don't know enough about how it all works with feeding the kids and everything to to sort of give you an argument on that side of it so yes no children should have food poverty but i don't know is it how they determine who gets fed meals so if there's a family that have got no income because parents are unemployed in covid and or, or orphans and things like that of course we should do that and i'm happy to pay for that you know from my taxes it's then when you've got parents that are spunking the money on things they shouldn't be wasting money on, that's when you it gets a bit more controversial. And I don't know enough about it to to comment. But yeah. you're, I think what you said is very fair. If MPs are getting free 
tuna sandwiches and kids you know aren't getting anything then yeah they need to rebalance that they should anyway away from children i wanted to talk about getting older you are getting older aren't you yeah. you had a birthday recently i did what i did a month ago or was my yeah. wife's birthday last week or two weeks ago or three weeks ago or depending when you're listening it could have been a year ago um well, it's not really about getting older. It's about saving for when you get older, investing for your retirement, putting money away in your pot. Because nowadays, you the way most people access a pension is through their workplace, through your job. So everyone now has to be auto-enrolled onto a pension, don't they? If they, after they pass probation. Yeah, as long as there's certain criteria met, correct? Yeah. Yes. and But, at the same time, gone are the days where you have a job for life and you'll work somewhere for, for 30 years. And if I think about um, the jobs I've had, I've worked for, I'm going to counter my out loud because that's more fun for the listeners. So yeah. there's that one. <laughs> and you can show off your counting two. skills. Yeah. So maybe out I think loud. six places. Yeah, I forgot about how, how out loud works. Six places. So that's six different company pension schemes. Yeah. So that's, that's six, a lot, Mark. I've been collecting them well. But then a few years ago, I went to a nice advisor who suggested I should consolidate all my pensions into one efficient pot. So it's, I want to talk about that. So, should you, is it, what is the best way to deal with lots of different company pensions? Should you always consolidate your pensions? That's a good thing to talk about. Yeah. And very topical because that's, probably a lot of our inquiries that we get from clients are that they've built up all these different things over the years, whether it's six pensions, three pensions, 20 pensions. And often the most common reason that they want to address it is just the amount of paperwork they get. And that is a valid reason for consolidating your pensions is just to ease the administrative burden. But is it what? Because nowadays you'll get a lot of it online anyway, won't you? So you'll just get an email and they'll say log into your account, and you can see your performance. So I guess there's the administrative burden then of having to log in and check and keep an eye on the performance. Yeah, you wouldn't do it just for that reason alone. You have yeah. to look into the pensions. But there's no, there's nothing wrong with saying, "Well, I want to do it because I just can't bear all the paperwork, all the different emails, or whatever it may be." Yeah, but so I guess you guess. Go on, I guess. guess are you paying? Often you, it could mean you're paying twice to be in the same funds because a lot of them, if they're going to, a lot of these pension schemes will just put you in a default fund, which may include, I don't know, a whole load of equity income funds that focus on shares in the FTSE 100. So you could have one pension where you're paying a certain rate to be investing in HSBC and Vodafone, and then another one to be doing exactly the same, which seems like a waste if you're doing that over six pensions. Yes. Yeah, so, so there's two points to that. So what, one thing you said was you're paying to be in the same fund. So because a fund ch- usually has a percentage fee, probably doesn't matter. Let's say you've got two pensions worth £50,000 and they both charge a 1% fee. Hmm. That doesn't necessarily make a difference if you've got the two funds separately or together. You're going to pay 1% anyway. But in terms of charges, sometimes you can be you can have the same fund with a different pension company. It can be cheaper 
with a different company. Yeah. So one of the things we look at when a client wants to consolidate their pensions is the difference in charges between where they are now and where we recommend they move their pensions to. Always, obviously, with intention of trying to save money if, if possible. Hmm. So that's just another factor to it. But then going to the other bit you said, so you could be in different funds that invest in similar shares like Vodafone, I think was example you just yeah. mentioned. Yeah, so you could be paying a, a dealing fee, let's say, to the fund manager to buy shares, five shares in Vodafone in one fund and five shares in the other. So there you are potentially duplicating your costs and not getting as much diversification as you think you are by being in different pensions. That is also, that's, that's a good reason to, to look at it. Okay. How, how do you go about combining your pensions? So the first thing we would do is like with any client, we'll have a meeting and try and understand the client's goals. So what are we trying to achieve in the short, medium and long term? Okay. And assuming based on that conversation, we think, you know what, it's going to be right to look at consolidating your pensions so the, so the next thing we would do is we get the clients to sign a letter of authority so we can write to all the existing pension providers. So this gives them permission to share the client's data with us. Okay. And along with that letter of authority, we send to the pension company, uh, we have a checklist of about 20, 30 odd questions that we ask because you don't just move it for the sake of it. It's got to be in the client's best interests to do it so that some of the things that we look at are um for example if it's a current workplace pension it's highly unlikely that we're going to transfer out of it because the client is normally going to be benefiting from employer contributions yes and by transferring out potentially you're going to lose out on those contributions okay. and that's free money really from your employer so 99 percent of the time maybe even 100% of the time, we won't transfer out of a current workplace pension. But does that mean you could end up with two pensions still? Yeah, most people, the clients that we look after, if they're employed, will have two pensions. Okay. They'll have their workplace one, which they get the employer contributions. Yeah. And they'll have a personal one, which they maybe pay extra in, or it's a combination of their previous ones. That's what Fine. most of our clients will have. And then if they leave that employer, that that gets transferred into the personal one and then they have another employer pension so most clients if they're employed will have two okay um so other things we'll look at is the current value and the transfer value of the scheme so normally you would want the transfer value so that is how much money they would transfer over to be the same as the current value but sometimes yeah. there's a difference and so we'd have to investigate that and find out why there's a difference and if it's still worth transferring. Why would there be a difference? There could be penalties to transfer out. Hmm. So let's say exit penalties. Mm -hmm. So it might be that your pension is worth £100,000 and there's a £2,000 exit penalty. So if you transfer it, it's only worth £98,000. That seems. Do a lot of them have that? That seems quite harsh. I see it less and less nowadays. When I first started doing this, Ten years coming up ten years ago, it was more common. It's becoming less and less. Okay. Now, um, so 
if there is a penalty, a £2,000 penalty or whatever it is, we have to then work out if it's worth, if the benefits outweigh that £2,000 cost. Sure. Sometimes the transfer value is actually higher than the current value. Ah. Because some pensions have bonuses built into it that they pay you, whether it's yearly or uh, a final bonus, it's sometimes called, or a terminal bonus. So they pay you that bonus now to leave. So that's something we look at as well. Yeah. Um, Another thing we ask is whether the pension has a protected retirement age. Because normally you can access your pension at age 55. That's the current Current legislation. Yeah. But some pensions have um, protected retirement age that you can access it younger. So if it does have that, we then want to find out, well, is that a benefit to the client? Do they think they might want to access it earlier? Is there a reason that they would need to? So that's something we we factor in. Um, What else do we look at? Let me tell you. So the death benefits on the pension. So nowadays with most pensions upon death, you can, the money stays in the pension and the beneficiaries access it flexibly, tax-free, lots of different ways to access it. Some of the, older pensions might not have that type of flexibility and might only pay out a lump sum upon death. So that's something we'll look at. So do the the death benefits help? Um, We'll look at the funds that they're invested in. Sure. So the type of funds, the performance of the funds, the amount of risk that they're taking. So if, if you are a very cautious person, and the funds that you're in are really adventurous, there's a mismatch there. So that might be a reason to move or just to switch the funds. Um, Or we'll look at, it could be the opposite. You could be a really adventurous person and the money's sitting in cash. So so that's something we've got to look at. I guess a lot of people don't realise their pensions automatically go into a default fund, which tends to be more kind of balanced, doesn't it? It's not, it's neither too adventurous or too cautious. So it may not match your needs or, to really do what they think it's doing yeah correct um often a workplace one you you don't pay any attention to it and you just get put into as you said the the default fund um some pensions have something called lifestyling is that like snazzy jackets and shoes just me on a saturday night that's just you on a saturday night yeah so that is when the closer you get to retirement yeah the pension automatically comes out of like equities and moves more into bonds safety well that was the that's the logic behind it albeit quite flawed yeah um and and that was more appropriate for when people got to retirement age and used to just cash in the whole pot for an annuity yeah whereas nowadays when most people are drawing down their pension throughout retirement they're probably better off being in equities during retirement but that's something we'll look at at the existing pension um, what else will we look at? Let's have a think about it for you. We will look at whether there are any orders placed on the on the plan. So sometimes in divorce, there are things like pension sharing orders and yeah. bankruptcy orders, earmarking orders. So that's something that's got to be looked at because you could cause a problem by consolidating the pension, messing up whatever they had at the moment. Yeah. We'll look at protection. So 
within a pension you i know we're going through this quite quickly but i think that's the plan isn't it to keep it high level mm-hmm. so some people have a lifetime allowance protection in their pension um meaning they might have more in their pensions than they would be otherwise allowed so we don't want to move anything that's going to potentially impact on that yeah um so could you have some situations where some pots are moved and combined and some stay where they are or then Correct. sometimes you may not move at all. Correct. Yeah. So not everyone, it's not right for everyone. It's not okay. the default position that you consolidate. And how long does it take? So the bit that takes the longest is getting the information from the existing pension companies. Mm-hmm. So we send off our letter to the company, whether that's post or email, depending on what they accept. And some of them within a, a week or two have sent you a nice pack with all the information you need other providers you've got to chase for weeks and weeks and it can take two three months to get the information so once we've got all that information we can then do our analysis and our assessments make our recommendations to you and then assuming you're you like what we say we send it off to to consolidate everything and then there's a system called origo which is what a lot of the pension companies have signed up to which allows quick transfers between each other yeah so that happens quite quickly if it uses the origo systems like a week or two but if and it's they all not go out like for that pizza well, that's pizza. a joke about origane but... that's... No? <laughs> that was terrible yeah yeah you're no, better sorry. than that mark you're better okay. than that back to back to origane or- <laughs> back to, to origo um if it's not origo it can be a bit slower they might send Basel. checks to each other oh checks yep yeah any jokes about checks Basel checks chi no don't no jokes about checks okay that's slow checks who's still using checks in this day and age yeah some of them do so if you're lucky you're probably looking at four weeks the quickest by the time you get the information assess it and everything yeah but but more than likely if there's a load of pensions it's a few it's a few months process and can you do this yourself do you need an advisor to do it well you could do it yourself yeah so you I think the important thing is to know what you're looking for. So I've come across clients who have transferred their pensions and not realised and they've given up valuable benefits. So, so, you can't undo it. Correct. So I, I've sort of asked, given you information about four or five of the things that we'll ask for. But we've got, as I said, we've got a checklist of, of much more than that. So I have come across people who have given up these valuable benefits. So there is nothing to stop you doing a transfer yourself. Well, I say that some pension providers are now saying you need you actually need to get advice. Yeah, but in theory, you can do it yourself. Just make sure you know what you're asking. Now, we should say should have said at the start we're talking about defined contribution schemes here, where you put money in and your employer puts money in, in contrast to defined benefit schemes, which is a whole different ball game, isn't it? That is a whole different ball game, uh, and it's a very different process for transferring out of one of those. Um, so these are final salary schemes yeah, where you're supposed to get a big payout and your company's supposed to be funding your whole pension. Yeah, and historically, we never recommended anyone transferred out of those. And over the last few years, transfers have become more common, hmm. albeit it is a, it's usually like a six-month process for that, much more in-depth, much more rigorous, um, much more regulated by the FCA. Um, and for some people, it is right to to transfer out of those. Because I think one of the issues with that was there was a lot. There were risks of fraud, wasn't there? And people 
transferring out of their company pensions and putting money in SIPs that were then supposed to be funding plots of land and hotel developments that never existed. Yeah, although I'm not sure the two were necessarily related. So there was there was problems with unscrupulous advisors telling people to transfer out of final salary pensions when it wasn't in their best interest to do. Okay. But charging them huge fees, so it was just in the advisor's interest. Yeah. And then there are issues with um, people setting up pensions, defined contributions ones, and investing in dodgy investments. So not necessarily the two related, they could have been separate things. Okay. And so the government's doing some work as well on um, pensions. I think they've been looking at some new rules about getting pension companies to simplify how they're displaying statements so that people can understand it better. And they're also working on pensions dashboards. Yeah, what's happening with that? Because I remember that first hearing about that maybe four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, and it sounded quite good. It would be like you, you log into a system and all your pensions are shown in one place. A bit like the information we'd give a client. Yeah. Um, so how's, how's that coming up? You've got I think it keeps being delayed, but I think they want to do it. And I think they're tendering now for the comp- how it's how it's done. But yeah, it's, it's taking a long time. I guess they announced it and then Brexit happened and then it kind of got rehashed and then the pandemic happened it's back, baby. Yeah, I think it's a good, a good idea. There you must know. be a way that you can track from your national insurance number. They can pull, pull out everyone's pensions and present it yeah. in one place. That had... actually make our life a lot easier. But would it, though? Because then would you ever have to consolidate your pensions? Because you yeah, could just see them. They're, they're not consolidating the... All they're, all they're doing is, is giving you one view, aren't they? Yeah. You've still got to look at all these things that I started mentioning before to see if it's worth having them individually or combined. It would just make it much easier in terms of you can see in one place what you have. Yeah, but would people be less inclined to worry about the admin of it? I think people um, with less money in their pensions, let's say lower earners, who aren't going to seek financial advice anyway, Hmm. will be the biggest winners out of this because it would make their lives easier. I think people who want to pay and value financial advice are still going to find out if it's worth moving things and being in the best position. Okay. What do you think? I think it's a good idea. I think it will be important that it comes alongside financial education so people understand what it means and that it's just the beginning and that they should consider their options with it. That's what I think. Great. Great. Did you have anything else on that? I mean, I can talk about other things to look for if you're consolidating. Um, It depends if you think that's interesting for people or not. We could do a couple more if you want. Okay. Do you want to ask? What, What else do you need to look for when consolidating your pensions, considering consolidating? So a couple of other questions I would ask are, um, does the pension have protected tax-free cash? So as you know, normally when you get to retirement age, you can take 25% of your pension tax-free. But some pensions have protected tax-free cash where you can take more than 25%, which is lost upon transfer. So I've come across clients in the past who have transferred and and missed out on it. I would be gutted. 
That'd be really yeah. Is it? It is yeah. But and that um, would, so that would be your company, but that would be quite a generous scheme that your company's got you into. It's not yeah. It's not necessarily your company providing that benefit benefit well, yeah, for it's, you. It's just yeah. the the rules of how the pension was set up, and it's usually older pensions that have this. Yeah. Um, some pensions have guaranteed growth rates that are guaranteed to grow by a certain amount each year. That's How quite do you guarantee thing. that? How do they? Yeah. They just make sure they give you a certain amount of growth each year, even if the performance hasn't merited. They're usually quite low okay. what the actual growth rates are, but it's still something to think about. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed annuity rates, something nice. also we come across. So they guarantee when you get to retirement age, whatever the value of your pot is, that you'll get a certain percentage income for life on that, which are usually higher than you'd get in the open market. A lot of these things we call, they're called in the profession, safeguarded benefits. So you don't give these up lightly. You shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. Um, Charges. I know we mentioned charges before and how um, if you're in the same thing in two pensions, I said that you, it's not necessarily mean you're paying higher fees, but something, something to consider. Some platforms, investment platforms, the more you have invested, the lower the charges become. So sometimes it is worth consolidating for that reason. Mm-hmm. So to give you an example, one of the main platforms we use, um, I'm just looking on my screen now, they, they have a tiered charging structure. Mm-hmm. And the way they work is the first £25,000 is 0.35%. The next 75000 is 0.23%. The next 150000 is 0.18%. The next 250000 is 013 And anything over half a million is at 0.05. Nice. Which is nothing really, 0.05. So yeah. you can see the more you potentially have in one place the lower your overall charges can become so that that's something to to look at and consider okay so that's probably a few areas there. if anyone does want to know a bit more about this or the questions to ask if you're going to do it yourself um if you send a message and i'm happy to to share the checklist with you if that'll help sounds great <laughs> you sound so enthusiastic there mark that's very generous of you. I don't know why they didn't have you on the Frosties advert with that. Because <laughs> it's they're great, not sounds great. That's why I kept saying sounds great, and they said no, it's they're great. You failed the audition. I failed the audition. Yeah. Well, your loss was Tony the Tiger's game. Exactly. Exactly. But look where I've look how far I've come. Yeah. Anyway, is that all we have time for? Yeah, I think it is today. Okay. Thank you for being in for a penny if you like what you've heard feel free to leave a review and we love hearing from our listeners so please get in touch via our websites or on twitter at mark shoffman at josh gersler at in for a penny pod one talk to you soon <laughs>